On Saturday, October 7th, around 1,300 mostly civilians were massacred by a group of bloodthirsty terrorists. To put that into perspective, on 9-11, 2,000 people were killed roughly. America is a nation of 340 million, in Israel, only 9 million. That would roughly be the equivalent of 40,000 people being killed in America in one day. While it's never great to compare body counts, it's important to put this into perspective so that you can judge the callous way people took to the streets to celebrate the rape, murder, and genocide of the Jews. Give an applaud right now to Hamas for a job well done. I was late to the news, but when I heard it, I smiled. Again, I swear, I salute Hamas. The justification for many of these protests and the celebration of what happened to Israel was that Israel was a neo-colonial oppressor and as such deserved what they got because in a sense Hamas was just taking back what was stolen from them. The fact that Palestinians have been living under a terror regime of occupation for over 75 years. But these same people decry Western civilization, the white race, and America itself as a neo-colonial oppressor. <laughs> But it doesn't take much mental acuity to recognize what's going on here. It's simple math. If Americans are neo-colonial, then any invading terror group that got stupid enough to mess with the world's strongest military is doing the world a service. Any act of violence toward fellow Americans might also be justified by these people if it was in service of the ideological goals of these militants. So not only is the idea of Israel being a neo-colonial force in the land that's been theirs, thousands of years before Muslims even existed, but it's more than just a sign of failing your Middle Eastern history class. It's a sign when religion is pushed aside by a secular ideology, there are consequences. And I'm not even talking about pure secularism. I'm talking about the kind of religion that takes the place of authentic biblical Christianity. The West is in full failure mode as a result of that because we now have no shared sense of morality to tether us together. If you ever scratch your head and wonder how the Nazis can convince a nation of people to participate in evil on a catastrophic scale, all you have to do is look around. Right in front of us, we are watching on mass scale the kind of denialism that took place in the Holocaust. As people say, pictures of burnt bodies and dead and raped women are nothing more than AI or just fabricated by Israel. This kind of denialism is to suggest that the horrific evils undertaken by Hamas are nothing more than your eyes tricking yourself, similar to what took place in the Holocaust and still takes place today by Holocaust deniers. But here's what's really to blame. When there is no standard for morality, you can justify any act of horror, of evil, like the serpent eating its tail or the guy sawing off the limb that he's sitting on. The West stands triumphantly on its secular humanism while spouting some of the most moronic nonsense. Dylan Mulvaney, a dude, is woman of the year in the UK, and protests are coming out in droves to support bloodthirsty terrorists. This is even happening in more subtle ways as the nation joins in a united front to say, well, we don't like Hamas, but come on, Israel can't strike back, that would be mean. This happened on Piers Morgan's show when a Palestinian leader did the usual soft peddling whataboutism that we're hearing a lot lately. I, I'm not interested but, in playing what about you with you. I'm simply asking do you, you, do you, do you, do you with I'm me simply and... asking you, do you unreservedly condemn the slaughter of 260 any, yeah, I, innocent I condemn, 
I could demand any killing of any civilian, whether Palestinian or Israeli. But you have to accept that if Israel has the right to defend itself, Palestinians also must have the same right of being able to defend. But nobody has a right to commit. Nobody has a right to commit acts uh, no, of terrorism. But, but we you, agree with that, would, right? Would, would you say? No, I am asking. Would you say that we also have the right to defend ourselves? Palestinians have the right to defend themselves, he says. Is the slaughter of innocent civilians defending yourself? I think we have his answer. Decapitating babies is just Hamas defending themselves. Raping and shooting young people at a dance party, defending yourself. Burning down people's houses with people inside, Hamas defending itself. Shooting those who flee the fires that they started, well, you get the point. He even goes as far as to point to a couple of Israeli criminals and then equate the slaughter of a couple of people to the slaughter of thousands by Hamas. But for the left, the removal of Christianity from the public square was an intentional effort by secular humanists, neo-Marxists, and postmodernists to do just this. The cry for a secular society was not based upon enlightenment principles. It was based upon pure hatred of religious ideas. Remind you of somebody you know? Could it be... When you have a group of smart people take the irrepressibly stupid position that sin is in the eye of the beholder, you can get away with a host of evils and merely brush them away with a casual sigh of, well, he hit me first. What's missing from this conflict and from the quest as a whole is a coherent moral framework to discern what good and evil actually looks like. So we don't go around making it the subject of personal opinions. Because you may find that there's a group of people out there possessed by evil so much that they will use your lack of moral fortitude as an opportunity to perpetrate unspeakable acts of evil. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget that IndieThinker is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. That means that any donation that you give to IndieThinker will be tax-deductible. And it also means that to continue the show and to make great content coming your way, uh, we are supported and run by your donations. So if you want to help IndieThinker, if you've benefited from the show, learned something, or even you've been emotionally supported like an emotional support pet, can give you by this show, then we highly encourage you to think about giving to IndieThinker. You can do that by going to the description of this podcast, or you can look on the screen now where you'll see a link that you can go to to give a tax-deductible offering to IndieThinker. We thank you so much for watching, and we thank you for considering us for your end-of-year giving. There are times on the show where I lament the fact that I have to talk about things that are frankly, a little bit depressing because I hear very often that there are people who are a little worn out by the fight and that the culture wars are making them a little bit sick to their stomach. And uh, look, I get it. Anytime that you're engaged in meaningful combat, it's going to be weary. You don't have to worry about that while sitting on the couch. That's actually relaxing. Um, however, there are also times where on the show, I talk about things that are a little bit, um, let's just say, a little bit on the dour side, but then it also brings me great joy. Um, and that is the story that I bring you today at the top of the show. And that is that for all of you ladies out there, I have some bad news. Pumpkin spice is officially now racist. I know you didn't see it coming a mile away. There isn't a group of people out there that want to racialize everything and 
even a group of people out there that will lie about their race or lie about even racial motivated attacks against them uh, just so that they can use the race card to stir up controversy. I know that you didn't think that eventually everything would become racist, where it would be like even racist to be not racist. I, I know you didn't think it was coming, but, but if you didn't, it is. Everything is going to be racist eventually once the left gets their hands on it. They will find some way to make it happen. And they did it with what is the favorite spice this time of year. So uh, according to the Washington Post, they said fall's favorite spice blend has a violent history. I bet you didn't know that uh, pumpkin spice can give you chronic diarrhea. But that is not exactly what is going on here. In fact, there is a long storied history about pumpkin spice and how racist it is to consume pumpkin spice because it was taken from a group of indigenous people. The story goes on and it says this. The population of around 15,000 Bandanese was decimated to just a few hundred in a few months, said Alum Clulo. By who and for what? Well, the Dutch company was later accused of carrying out what some describe as the first instance of corporate genocide. And it was all for nutmeg, he said. At the time, nutmeg, one of three key spices in the blend known as pumpkin spice, grew nowhere else in the world. It was considered a miraculous substance, rumored to cure the plague, make consumers more beautiful, sharpen the memory, and calm the mind, Clolo said, and to rob husbands of their money when their wives go to Starbucks. Now, the implication here is obvious. Because of the racist past of pumpkin spice, you should know, be a conscientious consumer, that the first act of corporate genocide means that you must get rid of pumpkin Spice, that means no more pumpkin spice lattes. That means no more pumpkin pie. And I don't go to Starbucks, so I don't know what else those other little frou-frou drinks that you pretend are coffee are actually called, but it's, it's officially canceled. Pumpkin spice is no mas, people. Now, here's a couple of things that I think are important to bring out about this story. First of all, once again, we see that the left is interested in attacking the most insignificant things. Of course, we know that pumpkin spice grows in all parts of the world now and people are not being killed for pumpkin spice, regardless of the racist and uh, genocidal past of pumpkin spice. We don't have to be worried about that anymore, but the left runs out of things to talk about, so they constantly want to talk about things that really don't matter. And the reason is, is because they really have no moral ground to stand on, so they have to talk about insignificant things. And because they lack the moral fortitude to actually do something that really costs them anything. That's why they attack, you know, the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Redskins, and they demand that they change their name. Not a single indigenous person really cared that the Washington Redskins were called the Washington Redskins, but a couple of female-minded, even if they were male, leftists got upset about it and demanded that it took place. And so because it didn't cost them to do anything, they could stand up against it and protest it. Uh, but not a single one of these leftists who believe that America stole lands from indigenous Native Americans, not a single one of these people actually go the next step and give this land back to any Native Americans. The most they can do is try to make the government pay people in reparations. Again, um, it does cost them, but in an indirect way. They, they never want to actually do anything that will require any true moral fortitude on on their behalf. That's why they attack things like pumpkin spice. And now the other thing is, is that we also see from this that the talk of modern racism and neocolonialism is, is really code. And it doesn't take a keen observer to see what's really going on when leftists try to attack things like pumpkin spice and use the term neocolonial. 
It's a tactic that's far too often and it's used by the modern left in America all the time. Create a grievance in order to create a devil to justify whatever actions you deem necessary based upon the narrative. We saw it not so suddenly with COVID. All the people who decry the marginalized and the poor could care less about the unvaccinated devils who are losing their jobs. We even heard some, some bold enough to say, hey, if you're unvaxxed, we don't care, just die in the street. Throw them out of the hospital if they're not vaccinated. We heard this in the summer of 2020 with the BLM riots. Killing, looting, and robbing were all reparations. After all, whatever violence perpetrated upon innocent Americans is nothing compared to what happened well, not to the protester and not to their parents and not even to their grandparents, but somewhere down the line, I'm sure because of the color of their skin, some white devil did something and now it's time for payback. This might be a good time to remind you that a society based upon, oh, I don't know, the teachings of Christ might give us the knowledge that an eye for an eye makes the world go blind. No, we didn't say it directly, but obviously the implication is there. Petty differences dividing people is ridiculous. I don't expect that in the highest levels of our academic elites anymore because our ivory towers are filled with pseudo-intellectuals being brainwashed with a very different message. Here's a supposed research paper from The Lancet, you know, a highly respected medical journal. In this paper that's peer-reviewed and published titled, Navigating the Violent Process of Decolonization in Global Health Research, a Guideline, it says this. Historically, decolonization has always been a violent process and global health might experience the same. Disrupting and calling out neo-colonial practices requires courage to bear the cost that comes with doing so. Let me go ahead and tell you what that cost is if you're asking, and I think we all know. The cost is the senseless death of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who disagree with you. It means the murder of innocent men, women, and children if necessary. The modern left decries the murder and the theft of indigenous people's lands and then celebrates the murder, theft, and rape of supposed colonizers in Israel when Hamas invades. We all know what neocolonialism means. Colonization is code for hatred of Western civilization, Christianity, and really religion as a whole, anything that disagrees with you. Normative orthodox culture must be destroyed and postmodern insanity put in its place. This is the cultural agenda of neo-Marxists, from the useful idiots in pulpits like Andy Stanley and David Platt to Marxist true believers like Talib and Omar in our halls of Washington, there is a militant cultural agenda playing out right in front of us. This makes modern leftism the most militant form of atheism we have seen since the likes of Stalin and Mao. And if this small majority had cultural power, you can rest assured that they would commit the same kind of atrocities their intellectual forefathers did in order to decolonize America, the church, and your family. If anything, I hope the conflict in Israel shows us that we are in a religious war. This does not mean that we should send troops to Israel to help them fight. It just means that what happened there could happen here. And I know what some of you are thinking. A story about pumpkin spice into... Well, terrorism could happen here. Listen, I know it sounds crazy, but if I had told you prior to 9-11 that we're about to experience the most heinous terror attacks since Pearl Harbor, you probably would have said, come on, Reed, 
the most modern military in the world? I don't think so. If I had in December of 2019 told you that we're about to experience a global pandemic that will separate Americans over whether or not this was an actually bioengineered virus or whether or not um, Americans should take experimental vaccines, you probably would have said, Reed, come on, global pandemic, hasn't medical science progressed past that? I hope if anything, what's happening in Israel, and even with little stories like this pumpkin spice uh, madness, I hope we realize that yes, we have advanced technologically in a number of ways, but one thing we haven't been able to come to overcome is human nature. There's really only one cure for that. And frankly, Donald Trump spoke about it a long time ago. So the next story I wanna share with you comes directly from something that Donald Trump did in 2017. Before we get to it, let's hear what our esteemed president right now is saying to try to give us some kind of intellectual clarity about what is going on in Israel. Check it out. It would be a mistake to, uh, for Israel to occupy Gaza again. We did, but to going in and taking out the, uh, the extremists, the uh, Hezbollah is up north, but Hamas down south is a necessary requirement. Mm. Yes, I totally understand what you're saying. But because I don't want to take the time to try to interpret it, I'm just going to allow this to be, you know, postmodern, open to interpretation. Whatever you think Biden said, sure, go with it. Because I actually have no idea what in the world he's talking about again. However, not so long ago, in 2017, Trump, speaking to a group at an Arabic summit, where countries are present and their leaders present, some way more prone to terrorism than others, Trump gave one of the most rousing and important speeches that we've heard from a president in a long time. And it's something you need to listen to. No coexistence with this violence. There can be no tolerating it, no accepting it, no excusing it, and no ignoring it. Every time a terrorist murders an innocent person, and falsely invokes the name of God, it should be an insult to every person of faith. Terrorists do not worship God. They worship death. If we do not act against this organized terror, then we know what will happen and what will be the end result. Terrorism's devastation of life will continue to spread Peaceful societies will become engulfed by violence, and the futures of many generations will be sadly squandered. If we do not stand in uniform condemnation of this killing, then not only will we be judged by our people, not only will we be judged by history, but we will be judged by God. Listen, I get it. Not every one of Trump's speeches had the kind of moral clarity and the kind of courage this one did. But I mean, you have to admit, this guy standing in the front of many of these leaders who have been responsible for greenlighting terror attacks, saying what he just said, takes a lot of gumption. I mean, to even try to compare Biden's speeches with Trump's speeches these days, is not, it's not even funny anymore. It's just, it's just sad. And this speech stands apart as, as morally necessary, especially in light of what just took place in Israel. And 
What he says toward the end there, I think, is something we need not quickly to forget. And that is that future generations are depending upon how we handle this thing. There will be a future generation of militants that are created if Hamas does not reap the reward of their evil. And if Israel doesn't fight back, even at the expense of some of the things that happen in war, then there will be no repercussions for a nation that believes that it can get, get away with genocide. So this came, and of course, I bring it up too, because we're hearing the, the news media try to make us quickly forget what just happened like 24 hours ago uh, when Hamas invaded Israel. And now that Israel's fighting back, of course, there is kind of this moral equivocation and there's this, this decrying of Israel and the fact that they're fighting back in the way that they're fighting back. This most recently happened as um, water and power was turned off in Gaza. And of course, this was declared a humanitarian crisis and how could they do something like this? And there's a couple of things that we need to know also keeping in the back of our mind Trump's speech that we just heard. First of all, you need to understand the people we're dealing with here are not you. Uh, you people in the West, you people in the West have been benefactors of something, whether you like it or not, whether you're a militant atheist or not, whether you think you're smarter than the Bible or not. You have been a benefactor of a Christian virtue that has weaved its way throughout the, the ages and generations in our nation. We fundamentally believe, again, whether you know it or not, because of the Bible, that the person who is next to us is somehow our neighbor. We don't cut in front of the person at the grocery store in line because we can or, and because we're stronger. We don't do it because we want to have consideration for that person because we believe that that person has intrinsic value. Now, where does that belief come from? Trust me, you didn't wake up this morning and think to yourself, boy, all human beings have intrinsic value and here's why. And then illustrate that list. That belief comes to you, whether you believe it or not, from our founding documents that say we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And where does that belief come from? Well, of course, it comes from the Bible. We are not dealing with Westerners who have inherited a tradition that ultimately respects humanity. Those people weren't indoctrinated, if you will, by the Bible. They were indoctrinated by something very, very different. So there is this kind of cultural narcissism today where we think everybody thinks like us. And I'm so morally good that, that the reason I believe in humanizing other people is because I am amazing. I came up with that on my own. And of course, they can come up with that on their own. The fact is, is you didn't come up with it on your own. And the fact that Hamas and other people like them want to exterminate Jews, they didn't come up with that on their own. They were taught that from their birth. So we're dealing with a group of people who, if left unchecked, will continue to do acts of violence like this. So the other thing that you should know about Israel turning off the water and the power in Gaza is simply this, that it is an act of benevolence that Israel has knock bombs that kind of go off like firecrackers to make sure that civilians get out of the area to know that this is about to be bombed. It is clear that the way Hamas came into Israel, they are interested in civilian casualties. That is the point. If civilian casualties happen from Israel, that is a, a byproduct of war, not the, not the point of war. See, it's a, it's, a, it's a feature, not a bug for militant Muslims uh, in the realm of Hamas and others like them. But what Israel did was an act of benevolence. They were trying to push people out of the Gaza Strip. And I even had somebody, as I suggested this on social media, come and say, move them. Oh, you show how clueless you are. Move them to where? Well, guess what? 
somewhere other than an active war zone, because that would be kind of bad for families to be situated right in the midst of an active war zone. So yeah, it's not Israel's concern where you move to, it is just their concern that you move out. So cutting off water and power was an attempt to try to move out civilians and their families who need that to survive, while the other terrorists who frankly have generators and water uh, coming to them because they're funded by other places outside of Gaza, um, that they will hunker down in those places and that's where that conflict can take place. So this is actually an act of benevolence. But more than that, I want to just bring up a, a third and final point. The reason it is so important to understand that what Israel is doing so fundamentally different than what Hamas and other terrorist organizations like them would do is is because many Christians don't discern for themselves differences in kind. See, we're told in the Bible that we're supposed to love our enemies. And a lot of Christians have come out and said, hey, listen, you know, we hate what's going on in um, that Hamas did to Israel. We hate that. We decry that. That's morally egregious and all of that. But I, I don't, I just, it makes my tummy hurt when I think about Israel fighting back. So it's almost like, the moment Israel tries to defend itself, there is this almost kind of subtle subconscious anti-Semitism that says that somehow Israel is just supposed to take it on the chin, but they're not supposed to, but they're not supposed to actually defend themselves and to keep those things from happening in the future. And again, Christians especially kind of take this position because they misappropriate scripture and they say, well, didn't Jesus say we're supposed to love our enemies? And isn't uh, Hamas an enemy of Israel? Well, they're an enemy and much more. So let me take you to Matthew 5, and tell you, when Jesus said to love your enemies and to bless those who, perse who persecute you, what that actually means. You know, there's a lot of Christians who say, you know, when people say mean things about you, you're not being persecuted. Go look at Armenia, go look at India, go look at what's happening around the world to Christians, and then you'll understand persecution. Well, there's a point to that, and yes, that's true, but actually when you go to the original language and you look at the word persecuted there, it means to be literally harassed or to be pursued. It doesn't mean to be raped, it doesn't mean to be murdered, it doesn't mean to be shot to death or burned to death. So. In, in other words, when we're talking about loving our enemies, it's talking about personal disputes by and large. Now, there's a place for martyrdom on an individual level too, and we could talk about that at a later time, but ultimately, when the Bible says love your neighbor and to love your enemy, what it is not saying is to let them shoot you to death and then let them kill your wife. That's not what it's talking about. If you want to know what Jesus would actually do, it might be interesting for you to read the Old Testament and the New Testament and not fall into the trap of thinking that, oh, that's just the Old Testament. That's a heresy from far back in the day called Marcionism that tries to separate the Old and the New Testament to put different gods in charge of that. There's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And Jesus was just so loving and he would never do anything except say, hey, it would be better for you to go drown yourself in the river if you mess with a kid. No, Jesus was tough. And Jesus promoted the kind of radical love that yes, we need more of and we need to think more about. But it's really clear that Jesus was not just a God of grace and love, but also a God of justice. Let me explain it to you this way. For a person to say what Hamas did to Israel is about the lowest level of moral fortitude that you could possibly imagine. I mean, you would expect somebody who claims to have a conscience to say such a thing. If they didn't, you would be thinking, what is wrong with you? Of course that's evil. Of course that's wrong. So it's the minimalist level of morality to say that's wrong. But Jesus doesn't just 
do that because Jesus isn't like us. He is far more perfect than we are. So Jesus goes the extra mile and Jesus also wants justice. Now, the best way I can think about this is to I kind of put this in the perspective of hell, which is something I know that, again, hurts the tummies of most Christians because you haven't heard a message about it. But Jesus actually talked a lot about hell in the New Testament. And the reality is, is you can make the argument that Jesus hates the sin and loves the sinner, sure. But when we're talking about the afterlife, we're talking about a perfect God who must have perfect justice because he perfectly hates evil. There must be a consequence for the kind of evil that was perpetrated by Hamas. And that kind of evil is what we see throughout the Old Testament. See, God is not a genocidal maniac, as Richard Dawkins suggests. God is not out for bloodlust. He is not calling people to just randomly kill people if they disagree with us. No, that's Hamas. No, the God of the Bible actually only called for the practice of extermination when people were like Hamas, bloodthirsty killers, when they would stop at nothing, when even if you destroyed the men, the women would raise their children to grow up and to kill and to desire nothing less than to become homicidal maniacs. When a civilization like that rose up, God said, you need to defend yourself against these people and they will stop at nothing until you are destroyed. So you have to defend yourself against these people. Protect yourself because God hates evil. And it is clear that under certain circumstances, you must be willing to defend yourself with lethal force if it is in the pursuit of extermination of evil or in the pursuit of protecting others. That is only just and only good. And a good God, the God that you should believe in, would pursue that kind of justice. I put it to you this way. Jesus on the cross had two criminals on either side of him. One of them repented. One of them defended Jesus, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he didn't say that for the other guy, because God is both a God of grace and a God of perfect justice. To get a little bit more of that, let's go to our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. By now, you are familiar with AOC, the former bartender, now TikTok star and politician, and her amazing takes on a multitude of issues. Uh, For those of you who may need a refresher, here is her talking about foreign policy. And the occupation uh, of of Palestine is um, just an increasing crisis of humanitarian condition. And that to me is just where I tend to come from on this issue. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did you mean by that? Oh, um, I think what I meant is like the the settlements that are increasing in some of these areas and and places where um, where Palestinians are experiencing uh, difficulty in access to uh, their housing and home. Do you think you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd also just, I, I am not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. You know, I may not use the right words. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at least she was willing to admit she's no expert, uh, which is the understatement of the year. But AOC has also gone on record on Business Insider to tell us that actually the people that you think are responsible for the Hamas attack 
maybe not what you actually think. So listen to this great, amazing, intellectually robust hot take from AOC. According to Business Insider, she says, anti-Semitic Christian fundamentalism in the US is partially to blame for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Listen, I have to chuckle at that because I have to work hard to make sure that you understand that I'm not gonna blindly defend Israel no matter what they do. Because the truth is every Christian that's ever been to church actually knows the truth here. Every Christian that's ever been to church actually knows that Christians are far more likely to blindly support Israel rather than to be anti-Semitic. The number of anti-Semitic Christians out there, um, like I would love for her to give us a number or to justify what she just said, but we can't expect our political class to actually source any of the information that they're giving us. Uh, so in other words, we're just left to believe her that the vast majority of Christians out there and Christian fundamentalists are anti-Semitic. Um, try to find the actual Bible-believing church, that is, uh, that doesn't have a pride flag outside of their church, that doesn't right now have an Israeli flag outside of their, of their church. But nonetheless, um, AOC here is giving us another brilliant take on foreign policy. And of course, it wasn't Hamas that is to blame for the attack on Israel. It's anti-Semitic Christian fundamentalist, of course. She goes on and she says, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York is naming Christian fundamentalism as a key driver of the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine, pointing to recent U.S. actions in the region. Speaking on local New York radio station Hot 97WQHT on Thursday morning, the progressive Democratic congresswoman argued that the conflict was not simply the result of Islamic fundamentalism and Israeli extremism. It's not just Islamic. It's not just Jewish. It is also Christian, said Ocasio-Cortez. In the United States of America, Christian fundamentalism and nationalism, which has also been extremely anti-Semitic, of course, has also aligned itself with some of the most right-wing and authoritarian and inflammatory powers in the region. She pointed to the decision by former President Donald Trump to relocate the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Yes, very anti-Semitic to do that. A controversial move that previous presidents had declined to make, given that the holy city is contested between Israel and Palestinians. It's not a coincidence that when Trump was in power, he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, said Ocasio-Cortez. There is a ton of fundamentalist literature around revelations in the Bible that leads people to project incorrectly, by the way. God, she's a Bible scholar too. Man, bless her. So AOC here comes up with the brilliant position that the anti-Semitic Christian right um, wanted the Jews to have their capital in Jerusalem because they hate the Jews. Um, boy, that's an amazing take. And I guess they just don't make anti-Semites like they, they used to. Back in Hitler's day, man, they were gassing Jews to be anti-Semitic. Now that's anti-Semitism. Nowadays, these pitiful Christian Nazis are just honoring the Jews by returning the embassy to the Holy Land. Give them hell, Christian nationalists. But let's give AOC the benefit of the doubt here. Her contention is that Christians applauded the move to move the embassy to Jerusalem because it sets the stage for an eschatological holy war in Jerusalem, where, where all Jews will either accept Christ or be massacred, and secretly, she knows Christians really want the latter. Now, one can easily see past AOC's mistake. I mean, the young lady has never spent a day in church, and she spends all of her days on TikTok, so she can't really be expected to actually know what Christians believe but I'll try to help. Actually, AOC, the homicidal maniac out there is, uh, and this isn't name calling, by the way, is her policies and people like her who want to show restraint 
to Hamas, which is literally asking for more Jewish deaths. Whereas Christians desire Israel to fight from a place of strength. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem because we've been commanded to do it in Scripture. Take a tour around Christian pastors and every one of them, for the most part, that believe in the Bible still, uh, will tell you that it's time to defend Israel and to stand for innocent people and to decry innocent lives lost, as they should, because they have a conscience and they love the land that God loved and chose as a special place for his people in the Old Testament. Now, we do admittedly want Jews to accept Christ, guilty as charged, and find peace, love, and joy that comes when a person finds their hope in Jesus Christ. I guess it's very similar, though, to AOC's terrorist sympathizer policies, except the exact opposite of that. By the way, beware, name-calling without definition is one of the habits of the left. So to call somebody a Christian nationalist or an anti-Semite, and then to not back that up at all with any information shouldn't come as too unexpected from these people. They love to butcher language and they love to lie. But if you want to know the truth, and I guess that's why you're watching, the truth is this. The true people steeped in hate are leftists. Modern leftism is an ideology based on hatred. For all their talk about tolerance and acceptance, we all know the truth. Andy Stanley, just recently in a sermon about love and acceptance, took time to bash all Al Mohler, former president of the SBC, the largest evangelical Christian denomination. And he took the time to tell him he's the reason people are leaving the church. It's his hatred and his bigotry and, and his way of teaching the Bible that pushes people away. To my knowledge, Moeller doesn't even have a church, but let's not bog down in unnecessary details. Needless to say, my point is, is that even though Andy Stanley may not be on the left, he is certainly on the liberal theological side of things, and he's doing the same thing that the left does. And that is, they shout tolerance directly into your face, spittle and all. And then when we say something like, hey, you probably shouldn't, you know, butcher minors in gender clinics, or probably you shouldn't predicate custody battles on which parent will affirm the lie of transgenderism. And then, of course, they quit shouting tolerance, and then they call you a transphobe. Dare to defy any of their narratives, like maybe mention in passing that BLM is built on the lie of Michael Brown's murder and you'll be called a racist and a white supremacist. Mention that Joe Biden can't actually utter words out of his mouth hole. And of course, you'll be called a MAGA extremist by this tolerant group of people. Why? Because the people demanding tolerance or else are always the least loving people on the planet because they cannot tolerate simple disagreement. Leftists envy Christians for this very reason. The real reason the left hates Christianity, the real reason they want to try to paint all Christians as anti-Semitic, especially even when they do things to support Israel, is that they really envy Christians. Like Satan, the left can only destroy or mimic good, but it never creates anything. All it can do is deconstruct. That's why Satan possesses people because he has no creative power on his own. In like fashion, the left deconstructs and destroys everything it touches. The only way to cope with the fact that they ruin everything they touch is to try to blame other people for doing it. And they choose to blame the people who are doing the most good in the world. Leftism and modern socialism is all supposedly predicated upon equality, consideration for the marginalized, and the creation of an egalitarianized society, but they end up rather destroying everything that can't be shared by everyone and as a result, they leave nothing standing for any of us. Even Marx decried this, calling it crude communism. 
This envy pushes them to wrench away the very power they say they hate only so that they can have it for themselves. And the only cure for that kind of ideological nonsense is for you to think for yourself. That's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if this video was helpful to you. And go with God.